But first, let me just orient us a little bit, give us a big picture. Uh, you know, we started uh, hearing about Ebola cases in Guinea in March. So that's about uh, seven months ago now. Um, Within a couple of months, by April, there were some cases in Liberia. We even had a couple cases get down near Monrovia. Uh, Somebody died at a hospital not too far from us. But then it didn't really take off, and we didn't think much was happening, although ELWA Hospital was actually preparing, thanks to uh, a doctor named Dr. Debbie Eisenhut, who was really fantastic, and she got right on this thing. She made contacts to get a hold of protective gear. She helped us set up an isolation unit. We actually, the only space we had was our chapel. So we we retired our chapel for a period of time and turned it into a six-bed isolation unit to get ready. So uh, here's our, here's our uh, chapel, the way it normally looks. And then uh, you can see on the next shot, that's after we had to fence it off and keep people out of it. Uh, because it was now our, our isolation unit. Um, and then inside that fence uh, is the chapel, and this is uh, some folks working in the, in the isolation unit. Um, yeah, I said that. Six beds. Um, the, the epidemic started ramping up in June and July, and that's when they started having cases in June. And uh, pretty soon our isolation unit was filled most of the time. We were the only people at that time providing Ebola care in Monrovia. Nobody else had taken steps to get anything uh, operational. And so pretty soon our little six-bed unit got overwhelmed, and we had to actually move into another facility kind of across the driveway that was... uh, taken from a new building that's being built for our new hospital. It was our new, the new kitchen. They just kind of took it over and turned it into an Ebola treatment center, 20 beds. And then that had to be expanded into another space, uh, which is part of our clinic, to make it bigger because it was overflowing. Um, so this continued to go on, and not much else was happening, unfortunately. Um, Samaritan's Purse kind of partnered with us uh, for a time there, and then... Uh, my two dear friends, uh, Dr. Kent Brantley and Nancy Wrightball, both got sick with Ebola at the end of July. And that kind of uh, Samaritan's Purse, that was a big um, issue for them. And they actually end up, most of their foreign workers left. Um, and during this time at the end of July, there was just, the, the numbers of Ebola cases were rising exponentially. Every hospital started having healthcare workers, doctors, nurses coming down with Ebola because they weren't really fully prepared for it. Um, so all the healthcare facilities actually closed because once you have two or three staff who get sick, then you have to close so you can decontaminate the facility. Then a lot of the workers want to stay away for 21 days to make sure they're not incubating Ebola, and so you have a three-week minimum closure time at a lot of these in a lot of these situations. So it actually turned into suddenly a total healthcare crisis. All the facilities were totally closed. So if you had an appendicitis, if you had malaria, if you had a if you were in labor and needed a C-section, there was nowhere to go. So 
because all the facilities had closed their doors. Uh, and this was the situation when I started um, getting in touch with people at, at SIM and we started talking. I was planning to go in on August 19th uh, already. That was my scheduled time to go. And um, so I began to make plans to go. Uh, not only was there a healthcare crisis going on, but now we have, now it started to get bad enough that we started to have rippling, ripple effects, you know. Whole areas of the country were sort of, oh, that's an area where there's lots of Ebola. Nobody wants to go there. Uh, farmers start abandoning their farms. You start having food shortages. And uh, all the, as a response to avoid situations with kids together, they closed all the schools. Uh, so now you have a situation where, you know, kids are home, losing a year, you know, losing a year of education. Um uh, all through all three countries, Liberia, Guinea, and Sierra Leone, you're having a, you know, a big impact on, on the education of of, uh, of children. Um, so, August fourth, uh, I arrived back in Liberia. That was the same day that Nancy Wrightball was evacuated. I actually saw the vehicle getting loaded up, but she was already all suited up, so I wasn't able to, to greet her or anything. I was just able to pray for her as she was on her way out to the uh, air ambulance. Uh, but our hospital had had to be closed for the same reason. We had had a couple of staff who had gotten sick, um, in addition to the doctors, in addition to the, uh, the Americans. Um, so the hospital was kind of going through a decontamination period. Um, our clinic space had been taken over now by the Ebola treatment unit, so we couldn't operate the clinic. Um, so we had decided, Dr. Brown, who's Dr. Jerry Brown, who's our medical director, had decided to prioritize the maternity area first. So we decided we would reopen maternity, and he already had that planned that on Wednesday, the 6th of August, we would reopen for pregnant women. And so that was, that was what we did. We called the staff back. We asked the midwives to start coming to work. And, uh, and we were able to, to open for maternity care. During that first week, uh, I think we delivered about 15 patients. Most of these women had been out in the community in labor for anywhere between 3 and 10 days. Um, almost all of them had situations where the baby had already... Uh, you know, stopped, the heartbeat had stopped, the baby had died uh, in the uterus because they'd been in labor so long. Uh, and, you know, we we sort of had to... Uh, oh, sorry. I got behind on my pages. <laughs> oh, I got... Anyway, no, that's where I am. Um, the... The... Uh, I remember one woman whose name was Sonny, and she came with bleeding uh, and a very painful abdomen, and she actually had an abruption, uh, which is where the placenta separates from the uterus. And she probably would have died if, if she hadn't come into care within, you know, a few hours. And we were able to operate on her. Again, her baby had already expired, unfortunately, but uh, we were able to save her. She was somebody who I connected with. She was a, a really nice 
uh, lady. She had come from about three hours away, two and a half to three hours drive from way on the other side of the city. Uh, but they heard that ELWA was open and they, they came over with her. Her sister brought her. And uh, so we were able to help her. Um, the, the other things I was doing uh, were things like making sure we had enough boots for everybody to have a pair of boots, making sure we had gowns and gloves. Luckily, we had just gotten a large shipment of gloves from uh, Europe that we had ordered six months ago or eight months ago, and it finally arrived. But thank God, because there were no glo- you couldn't find gloves in Monrovia. They, prices were going up because everybody was desperately looking for protective equipment and, and, and gear. Um, the, uh, but, but again, most of that time was spent, a lot of that time was spent in the operating room. We were doing a lot of cesareans. I ended up covering anesthesia a lot. We had a lot of staff who were very reluctant to come to work at that time because of all the cases among health workers. Almost everybody knew somebody personally who had died. They had all been to somebody's funeral in the previous month, one of their healthcare worker colleagues. So you can imagine the the fear that was there among them. So sometimes, oh, who's on for anesthesia today? Oh, she didn't she didn't show up. So then I then I'd become the anesthetist and do the anesthesia for the cases. And actually, that's a really great job, especially for cesareans, because the patient's awake, you're giving a spinal. You know, you pray together at the beginning of the case. You get to talk through the whole case with the patient and just reassuring them and comforting them, sharing the Lord with them, uh, Bible verses sometimes. It's just a wonderful uh, opportunity to sit and hold somebody's hand and and uh, talk and comfort them at a time when they really when they really need it. Um, so what I want you to understand, right even right now, so this we're now uh, you know three months later, still. Because there have continued to be sporadic cases of Ebola at each of the facilities, the major facilities are still closed. Catholic Hospital, which is one of the big hospitals, has been totally closed since I was there. They haven't reopened yet at all. JFK, the big government hospital, has opened at times, and then they'll have a couple of cases, and they'll close again. Uh, so right now they're on kind of, they're probably a quarter of, of, of JFK hospital is functioning most of the health facilities are not operating. So we this. So you, I want you to understand, we're, as we pray together and as we think about this, we're not only dealing with the Ebola crisis, we're dealing with a whole health care crisis right now in Liberia. Um, and uh, so now I'm going to ask us, our initial prayer is actually uh, with the international director for SIM. He's, uh, he's going to be on the, on the video his name is Dr. Joshua Bogunjoko. He's a family doctor like me. Uh, came from Nigeria originally, but has served uh, around the SIM world in many capacities and has great leadership and great administrative skills and has now actually become our, uh, our executive director. And he's a really terrific uh, guy, and we're going to join him now uh, on the video. So just, you know, listen to him and pray along with him and add your prayer to his for the people of West Africa. Father, we come to you today because you are the God of heaven and earth. We adore you, we exalt you, the only living.
living God, the God who answers prayer. And we come to you today because of this Ebola crisis in West Africa. We thank you because you are the God who loves the world and loves the people of West Africa. You, our God, love the people of Liberia. You love the people of Guinea. You love the people of Sierra Leone. Father, we come to you praying for those who are sick today. We ask, Lord, for your hand of healing upon them. We ask, Lord, for wisdom for those who are caring for them. For the doctors, for the nurses, for the physician assistants, and all those who are involved. Father, we ask for wisdom for community leaders, for church leaders in educating their people about the impact of Ebola, the means of spread, and the ways that this disease can be controlled. Father, we ask for wisdom for government and government officials. We ask for wisdom for all those who are involved in providing teaching, education, and who are working, Father, to stop the spread of this deadly disease, Lord. Father, we ask today that their effort will be effective. Father, many have already lost their lives, and many are still at, at risk of losing their lives or contacting this disease. Father, we ask, Lord, you, the God of heaven and earth, to bring an end to this the spread of this disease by your hand and by the effectiveness of all the effort that is being made right now. And Father, we pray today for the protection of the other countries in West Africa and around the world. We ask, Lord, that you will protect those countries that are not yet touched by this disease. Thank you for all you have done already. We trust that it is by your hand that many of the countries of West Africa has remained free till now. Lord, we ask that that will continue to be the case. We thank you because you are the God who answers prayer. You are the God of love. And in spite of Ebola, in spite of the suffering, we know you remain God. Nothing diminishes who you are. Nothing changes your love. Nothing changes your, your care for the people whom you have created. Praise you because we can trust you to answer, and we thank you because we know you will answer. Because we have asked in that name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And amen. Um, so we're gonna share some other details about things that are going on, and especially ways that you can pray uh, for Liberia and. Um, uh, for our ministry in this uh, in this time, so uh, we're going to go on and talk about the churches, uh, so we can pray for the churches. Of course, they've been very uh, involved in reaching out to the communities as part of the education effort. They're really uh, um, making use of the churches, and in particular, we know that the youth organization of our churches has done a lot of door to door. 
um, just going around making sure people understand what Ebola is, how it's spread, how they can protect themselves. And um, we have not heard reports of a lot of cases in the churches, uh, in the communities that our churches are in. And so we're really thankful for that. We do know of one church that had a couple cases and lost some members recently. But overall, uh, the news has been really good. Um, then, I guess I should have gotten the, the other kind of mic. <laughs> uh, so the attendance, the, the, the pastors are reporting that attendance in the church is really strong as it was in the past during the war. And while sometimes, um, that, uh, you know, is that a crisis mentality, it's also a great opportunity. And so we're really praying along with them for lasting fruit that there would be seekers who come into the churches, um, in this time when they're feeling vulnerable and who hear the word and the gospel of hope and that it is something more than uh, just for the moment, but that they hear a message of hope that applies to many areas of their life and uh, that they can, um, that they can stay involved in the church and that they can grow in Christ. Um, we're going to show this video that is a testimony of one of our staff members who um, who recovered from Ebola. So frustrating, so disheartening, so painful because there's a strange atmosphere. So one guy in there said, God, it is only you. And even before I went to the unit, I also told him, I said, I know that because of this disease and everybody feels that once you have Ebola, you are going to die. And so people really don't come around. And I was left alone in the ER. I cried unto him and said, God, you have never forsaken me. I know if everybody else would turn their back, you will never turn your back. God spared my life for a purpose. I wasn't better than those that died. But I knew that every time He sees me, He knows I'm a testimony for Him. so much pain in there. And to be sitting here that I can even share His goodness. It is only because of His grace. And that second chance that He has given me to me. churches are um, having daily and, and weekly prayer meetings. Um, it is, they are a praying people. They 
have are crying out to God for this thing to end. But the crisis really does bring up hard questions, questions maybe that sometimes people are afraid to ask, even even Barbara. Um, you can tell she's grappled with them. Why is this happening? Why uh, is there even such a terrible disease in the world? Um, so much loss of life, children losing their parents. Why do some survive and others do not? Uh, we just want you to please pray for the church to resist the temptation to blame someone or something for this um, epidemic and to point to point fingers. The African point worldview says nothing is for nothing. And that basically means that there's always someone to blame. And there's always a reason that um, that something bad happens, that it's a curse or it's a punishment. Um, if you're, ta- I mean, if you're talking about God's from God, if you're talking about God, there's this temptation to think it's a punishment. If um, in the African worldview, it might be that someone cursed you. But we just really want to pray for the church that they would um, seek their wisdom from God and that they would. Um, be okay with letting uh, that answer from God come out in time and, and that they wouldn't choose anyone to target for um, for this epidemic because things come out. Uh, you hear rumblings of, uh, of of people who might be persecuted because of it. And so um, so we're gonna we're gonna do something a little different here. Um, we are going to pray for the churches, and we're going to pray African style. So what that means is that um, we are all going to pray out loud simultaneously. <laughs> it's, um, it is, uh, I know it's not something that we will be very comfortable with, but it's good. It's a good cultural experience, and uh, we won't make it last very long. <laughs> so, but we will... Um, we would just ask you to uh, verbalize your prayers. They don't have to be loud. They can just be quiet verbalization. But um, that each and every one of you would uh, participate in uh, praying for these uh, things for the churches, for their outreach to human need, to comfort the morning, to share the gospel, that there would be lasting fruit from seekers and wisdom to answer the hard questions. And uh, Rick... Rick, uh, this verse this morning, God impressed it upon him for the church, and that is, but let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as a shield. And uh, we do pray for this to be a, a physical protection, but we also pray for this to be a spiritual protection that just as Barbara said, you know, she was alone in the ER and yet she knew that God was with her and that God would not forsake her. And, um, so, uh, we just pray that for, for the people of the church. So, um, so let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your church. We just thank you that, uh, they are people who are called by your name and we pray that they would represent you and glorify you in West Africa, in this really difficult time. In Jesus' name, amen.
Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about a little background about Elwa and SIM, and then we're going to pray for some specific uh, items under this. So, but ELWA is a large mission compound just outside of Monrovia. Uh, it's, uh, it was started out by SIM in the 50s as a radio station, and actually ELWA is the, the call letters, stands for Eternal Love Winning Africa. But it's like ELWA is like WBZ. It's the, it's the call letters of the station. Uh, the hospital was started in the 60s. Uh, the ministry has uh, continued to minister throughout lots of crises like the Civil War. Um, uh, there's also a school on the, on the campus uh, as well as a lot of uh, a church, some other smaller ministries and offices, and then a lot of homes. Um, Elwa right now is hosting two uh, Ebola treatment units in, in addition to our regular ministries. Uh, this video that you're going to see is of the larger one. Uh, this is uh, a 240-bed, currently 240-bed unit that's run by MSF. That's the That one was built, uh, started in the month of July and, and opened in the month of August. And then the other one is the uh, ELWA. This is, so this one's called ELWA-3. ELWA-2 is the one across from our hospital that at this time is 60 beds. Um, so we have about 300 beds, treatment beds, right on ELWA campus. Um, for a long time, nobody else in town wanted a, uh, an Ebola facility anywhere in their neighborhood. So uh, but we were willing to host these places and uh, hope, I mean, I think, I, anyway, it's just been a blessing to be able to be a shelter for people who need it and a place where people can get well from Ebola. We, you know, every day people get released from these units uh, cured, and that's really a terrific encouragement. But one of the things that this does uh, as a ministry is that we're providing all this extra power and water uh, to both of these Units and so it's a big load. So there are some uh, some logistical needs that are brought about by this uh, as well that we'll 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 get to later on. Uh, first, I want to talk specifically about the staff, the current uh, leadership and staff at ELWA. Um, the first one is Joe Wancali and his wife Nene. Joe is our senior. Uh, SIM person, our acting director on the ground. We actually have a missionary director, but uh, for family reasons, um, he's actually in the UK right now. So he's working from the UK. But Joe is the guy on the ground who's carrying the baton uh, as the uh, acting director uh, at ELWA. He has a huge job. He's taking care of all the, you know, all the housing with all the different groups that are on campus like MSF and those other groups. He's taking care of the finances. He, I mean, he supervises the finance team for the whole compound, for, the, for all the ministries. Um, you know, providing leadership and, and vision and direction is just a huge job. So uh, please join us in praying for him, for Joe. And I also want us to pray for uh, Dr. Jerry Brown. He's our medical director. Uh, really fantastic 
guy. Uh, actually, I had the opportunity to mentor him about 15, 14, 15 years ago, up till about 12 years ago, when he had just graduated from medical school. And now he's my boss, which is uh, which is great. Wonderful general general surgeon, really terrific guy. Uh, you also see in the picture Dr. John Fankhauser, who's my missionary colleague, along with uh, some of the supervisors. Uh, that's on the day that they went and visited Barbara. You see uh, John's arm is around Barbara, uh, but the other hospital supervisors are there. So we'd like you to um, pray for Dr. Brown. He's not only our medical director and our general surgeon, but he's also supervising this ELWA2 unit, which is run in, in partnership with the Ministry of Health. So the Ministry of Health pays the staff, but Dr. Brown supervises uh, the unit. Um, Dr. Fankhauser came out to ELWA about a year ago. He's been amazing through this. When I got sick, he was on a plane, I think, within less than 24 hours of that news coming out. I mean, he just dropped everything to, to come out and fill the gap. He's actually still there now. He's coming home shortly for about a month off, and then he'll be back again. Um, so then we have... Um, so we'd like you to just pray for Dr. Brown and for the whole hospital staff, just for uh, strength, for safety, that God would protect them, especially from uh, getting Ebola, um, but uh, just for strength, for a strong witness, for the love to, to give to the patients. Then we have other staff, the... Uh, oh, okay. Um, back up one. Back to, yeah, so actually something neat. I just got off the phone with Dr. Fankhauser. I was on the phone with him when I was on the way here. And um, the Catholic Hospital, as I said, has been closed all the way since July. Um, they were having real struggles preventing. You know, one of the problems is that people come to the hospital and you don't know who has Ebola and who doesn't. So the risk is not only in the Ebola treatment centers. The risk is with general patients, too, because some of them are sick with Ebola. And, this is, and they just kept having people get sick. So they they approached Elwa a, a week ago, a week and a half ago or so and said, "Would you tell because Elwa hasn't had any cases among the Liberian staff since we reopened? I mean, I, I, I they had me as a case, but among the Liberian staff they haven't had any cases. Um, so the the midwives at Catholic approached uh, our hospital and said, "Would you teach us what you're doing to stay safe?" And they came over, and Catholic is a much bigger hospital than ELWA, about three and a half times the size. Uh, but they came over last week and had this training session that was both training, and then they had a drama where the, where the Elwa midwives kind of acted out some of the scenarios that happened that could, be, could put you at risk. And I think it was quite humorous. I mean, again, hard to make uh, humor out of Ebola, but uh, I think they did quite a good job of it and uh, did it as a skit. And, and the drama, and uh, it was apparently quite effective. So that was a neat, and a neat, you know, a neat way for us to be an encouragement to uh, some of these other hospitals. All right, now we can, now we can roll. Um, and we have other staff who are working, security services, which is the, like the power and the water people, and then the radio broadcasters, um, who are doing Ebola education. And this is reaching all of Monrovia, and actually now uh, we had a problem with our shortwave transmitter, but that's been uh, replaced now, and so now they're able to reach the whole country with both Ebola information and the gospel of, of uh, Jesus Christ, and 
you know, lots of uh, good programming. So we want to uh, be praying for that. So if we could, let's stand up to get our blood circulating a little. We'll stand up for this prayer. No, we're going to pray, but I just, yeah. Okay. All right. And then let's, if I could have, if, if three people, you can just um, pray as the Spirit leads you or pray out, you know, in, in turn, though. Um, if I could have somebody pray for Joe Juan Colley and his leadership work, and if I have, could have somebody pray for Dr. Jerry Brown and the hospital staff, and then somebody uh, pray for the other staff, especially uh, security, uh, radio, and, uh, and the services staff at ELWA. If somebody could take each of those, and then I'll close. Father God, we just uh, appreciate each of these uh, dear men and women who serve you. And I just ask that you, even right now, that they would know that the body of Christ is praying for them and supporting them around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Stretch. (laughs) All right. Um, the next item on our list is uh, to pray for equipment. And I, I hope that you don't feel that this is a trivial thing. Um, if there's anything we have trouble with in Africa, it's equipment. <laughs> uh, there is always something breaking down. And right now, the stress on our equipment is very heavy because of the fact that we are hosting that MSF uh, facility as well as the Elwa 2 Ebola treatment unit and uh, hosting far more residents, far more people than we are used to because our housing is also being filled up with many of the volunteers for MSF and uh we don't have a lot of extra SIM people right now, but almost all of our fam- of the houses of our missionaries right now are filled with MSF people. So uh, a lot of power, a lot of water. Uh, the, so our, the situation is that we our, our current equipment is pretty much maxed out. It seems like they get one generator serviced and up up and running, and um, the next one breaks down we they alternate between two or three different generators but um the lower left hand side of the picture you'll see that there is that's a truck and there's actually a new generator on that truck and that generator is on its way to an airplane and it's supposed to that airplane is supposed to take off on wednesday and deliver that new generator to elwa it was a donation um or the money, I think, was donated for a refurbished generator, and I believe that the air freight was was a donation is being given free. So that's a huge answer to prayer. And Steve Kerr, who's in the upper picture, is a longtime Elwha missionary who is going, uh, who's actually already there, and he is there for the installation. Um so the new equipment's on the way. Steve Kerr is there to support the staff. We don't have engineers on our staff to do this stuff. 
and it, this is a stretch. This is a real stretch. Yeah, even Steve is not actually an engineer, but he has a ton of experience. So we really have to pray for our staff to be able to go beyond, and we're praying for that equipment just to get up and running. The next uh the next situation is the water situation. Ebola treatment units use between 10,000 and 50,000 gallons of water per day. Um, I think it started out at 10,000 when they were at their small, at the initial numbers. And I think that by the time they have all the beds that they want to have, they are expecting to use about 50,000 gallons of water per day. The system that we have was already barely hanging on before this all happened. The pumps, the pressure tank, the purification was all in, in bad shape. And we were looking at how we were going to revitalize it. But we, once again, have been blessed. Several companies are donating the equipment. Uh, three different companies, the pumps, the pressure tanks, the purification. And that hopefully will also be on the airplane on Wednesday on its way to be installed. So uh, that is a really huge answer to prayer, and hopefully it will uh, provide for these needs uh, as long as as long as they take place. The um, uh, this we found out that this slide is actually out of date, even though we only made the slide last night. <laughs> the um, Rick when Rick was on the phone with Dr. Fankhauser. He, uh, he learned that someone is going to replace our chemistry analyzers, which are out of date. And so this prayer's already been answered. How about that? <laughs> but there are, there's, the lab equipment in, in the hospital has all, um, always been tricky and temperamental and, um, so keeping it running is a challenge. So we still need to pray for it to keep going. And finally, we have our radio. And uh, there are two shortwave transmitters, which are now up and running. But they are also very temperamental. And uh, they they can go on and off. Thank you. And the uh, we have an FM transmitter that does Monrovia. Our radio teaches God's word, uses some American-based programs as well as programs that are produced there. And, of course, there have been tons of public service announcements. I actually really wanted to play the Ebola songs with this one, and I forgot to embed them. But there's some pretty great music out there to uh, educate people about Ebola in Africa. (laughs) And finally, the really great thing about our radio is that we broadcast in the local languages, in the the various dialects of Liberia. So even someone, even some old man who only speaks Basa or who only speaks um, Vai, he can hear God's word as well as the information that he needs to know about Ebola in his very own language so that um, he can trust that language because it's coming from someone who can speak his language and who's trying to reach him in his own language. So that's, that is not happening in other radio sort of contexts, and it's a really big um, advantage that our radio has. So pray, especially the, sh- the shortwave transmitters are key for that. So we're going to pray especially for that. And uh, so here's what we're going to do to pray for this one. This is going to be quick. 
because uh, we we don't. I mean, it's kind of concrete, I guess. And uh, but we would like, if you would, for you to um, pray with someone who's sitting close to you, either uh, someone you came with, or um, and just pray for these these equipment. All of this equipment to just keep operating in spite of the terrible environment and the difficulty with getting replacement parts and the um, fact that sometimes our people are a little bit uh, unsure about how to fix things, even though some of them are great at fixing them. And uh, so we're just going to take about three minutes to um, have, have you pair off and pray for these things together, please. Okay, thank you very much. Appreciate that. So, um, the next uh, area of prayer that we'd like to pray for is the missionaries. And uh, I call them the missionaries in limbo. Uh, I think that though, especially the women of Westgate can probably remember, at least some of you, back 15 years ago, believe it or not. Well, no, now we're at 18 years ago, almost 19 are we 19 years ago? Excuse no. me. 18, 18 years ago when I was the missionary in exile and when we evacuated from Liberia because of the civil war. And I know just how these wonderful people are feeling. It's just such a difficult time when you have had to leave your field and you don't know when you're going back. Um, and hopefully they do know if they're going back, but it's still a very difficult thing. Some of them were due for home assignment, and so they're pursuing their um, home assignment activities, visiting their churches, and and uh, making sure that their support is up to the level that it needs to be. Some of them are continuing to stay involved in what's going on there. One of our technical guys has been the coordinator for the generator and the short wave radio and the water system. And he's been really involved in getting all that coordinated. So I'm sure that's taken many of his hours. Um, and uh, some people have gone back to work. Uh, Dr. Eisenhut is in the middle picture there and she is working part-time at her local hospital in rural Oregon. Uh, yeah, rural Oregon. And, Everyone is just on hold for now, waiting to see when it would be possible to go back, especially those who have families. Um, so some people have even decided that maybe they need to find another uh, place where they can work for the time being, whether that'll be a long-term proposition or whether they'll come back, we don't know. So it's a, um, it's a really big change. We also... We're in the middle of a leadership change at ELD, um, with SIM. The uh, couple on your on the right were uh, that was our field director, and he and his wife are from the UK, but they have elderly parents, and so they were already planning that they would be ending their time in Liberia, and we had elected a new leader, and that new leader was Dave Wrightball, Nancy Wrightball's husband. So that 
puts a little bit of a question mark in everyone's mind about when they will be able to go back as well. I think there's a willingness, but Nancy has definitely had some complications in her recovery. She's having some difficulty with her legs and some pain and neuropathy, and uh, her recovery is not really humming right along, let's say it that way, even though she in her heart would love to be back in Liberia as soon as she can. So we would just like to um, take a little time to pray for these wonderful people. Uh, for You saw the picture of Dr. Fankhauser, who's, who is serving in Liberia, and he's going to be back and forth um, for the next few months. Steve Kerr, we also have some new doctors who are volunteering, uh, who are spending short terms there, and one who signed up even for five months after the first of the year. Uh, pray for meaningful ministry for them. Pray for them to have wisdom about returning, especially with families. And pray also for our team as we try to figure out what to do about this leadership transition that we were already had on um, on the runway. And our verse for our missionaries is Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Sorry, I can't see that one out with my glasses. Which God prepared for us in advance for us to do. So we would really um, like some people to pray out loud for these missionaries. Uh, maybe three people can pray out loud. And then I will close. Thank you. And Lord, we just pray, especially for our team and our um, need for leadership. And Lord, we pray that your will would be revealed to us in who could serve in that role and when it would be possible for that leader to uh, take that role. We just pray that your will would be done and that you would lead and guide that person even to accept a role of leadership. And we, we thank you for our team, and we bless them, and we thank you that each and every one of them is right in the center of your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I'd, uh, we're we're going to kind of switch gears now and, and uh, look at our uh, response uh, especially from here in the U.S., kind of a little closer to home to the Ebola crisis. And uh, the first thing I want to talk about a little bit about uh, is our need for volunteers and for us to pray that God would raise up volunteers. Right now we're mainly looking for uh, medical people, doctors, nurses, and, and technical people, people like with electrician skills or uh, some of this uh, water and generator kind of work. Uh, technical kind of things. Um, so those are the, the volunteers that SIM is looking for, but also just in the broader sense of the U.S.'s, of, of America's role in sending people to make a difference. And let's... Uh, oh, yeah, we can go to the next one. There's the technical guy, welding. Um, but... Uh, Let's, um, you know, let's also pray about the general situation, all this talk of quarantine, uh, you know, 
even we're hearing news from other organizations that people who've made a commitment to go are now either backing out or shortening their time frame because they hadn't counted on being locked in their apartment for three weeks and this kind of thing. Um, so it is becoming a challenge. And let's pray for that, uh, just that the Lord would have his way and would allow us to respond the way we want to to help with the crisis in uh, in West Africa. Uh, we all know there's been a fair amount of hysteria being uh, promulgated in the in the press sometimes, and some you know we do see it among people. Though frankly, I, Debbie and I have seen very little personally during this whole thing. There's been you know I think the number of people who are really um, hysterical about about Ebola in the U.S. is fairly small. Right. I guess they're they're loud, but they're small. But um, you know, and and our our desire is really just to see uh, us functioning based on the truth, based on facts, uh, and and uh, trusting in the grace of God um, to uh, to make a difference here. So uh, let's just pray for our, our nation as America, for the American response. What I want us to do this time is just to, to read this prayer together. Um, so uh, why don't you just join me as we pray. Dear Lord, we pray for our nation that we might respond as good neighbors, as good Samaritans to the people of West Africa. We pray for volunteers to feel called to respond to the crisis by going, by being your caring eyes and healing touch. Lord, we pray for generous donors to respond as well. Finally, Lord, we bring our nation's current turmoil about Ebola to you. We confess that our focus seems to be on fear and protecting ourselves. Help us instead to focus on love and reaching out and on responses grounded in the truth. Amen.